we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, we come in our study of the life of David to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And we have a a challenge today because uh, we have a a lot of ground to to cover. uh, Because this narrative that speaks of David's return after the rebellion of Absalom was put down, this narrative is not just a historic record. It is... Uh, something that speaks prophetically. And uh, it speaks not only applicable in the lives of those who lived that experience, but it is applicable to our lives today. And so we begin reading in verse number one. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say, that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people gat them by stealth that day into the city, his people being ashamed to steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son. And Joab came into the house of the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life. And the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters, the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. And all the people were at strife through all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? And King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house? seeing the speech of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house. Ye are my brethren, ye are my bones and flesh. Wherefore then are ye the last to bring back the king? And say ye to Amasa, art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me and more also if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. And he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man, So that they sent this word unto the king, Return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go 
to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. I want you to notice the phrase we read in verse number 15, so the king returned. The title of the message this morning is The King Returned. The King Returned. If you've been following along in this study and you've been participating, of course, as a member of our church, you know that we've been studying the life of David with this theme in mind that David served his generation. We've learned a lot of lessons from David. David was a man, the Bible says, that was after God's own heart. And as we have studied the life of David, as I noted a moment ago, we are looking at real historic events that are unfolding in God's redemptive plan for the nation of Israel and for all of the world. But these events not only speak to us historically, they speak to us prophetically. And these events speak to us concerning the life, suffering, death, resurrection, return, and the rule of Jesus Christ. David, of course, we find in the wilderness, he is deposed as king for a time. And the reason he is there is because of the consequence of his own sin, his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And because of that sin, his children rebelled against him, especially here, Absalom. And David was deposed as king. So he finds himself in the wilderness. The son of David, who also is the son of God, Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate, the one who came into the stable some 2,000 years ago and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, he went into the wilderness too. He went into the wilderness and suffered rejection as David suffered rejection. But he didn't suffer rejection in the wilderness because of his sin. He suffered rejection in the wilderness as a consequence of our sin. David suffered rebellion, the rebellion of his son. And the Lord Jesus Christ has suffered the rebellion of a lost world. And so we find similarities between David in this passage and our Lord. And as David returned, we know that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will soon return. The Bible says that when he ascended into the heavens, the angels spoke to the disciples and said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus shall come again in like manner as ye have seen him go. We know that Jesus is coming again. And we desperately, desperately long for his return. And as we note uh, some truths about the returning king, in this instance, David, uh, we learn many lessons about the nature of our king who's soon to return. I hope you'll write them down. We'll, we'll cover this as quickly as we can and uh, make some uh, points that I believe will help us all as we study the close of this 19th chapter. First of all, number one, I want you to see that he is a grieving king, a grieving king. The Bible says in verse number one, and it was told Joab, behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say 
how the king was grieved for his son. Uh, We last left this narrative of the life of David in in the 18th chapter, uh, and we learned that, of course, that Absalom had died, and the king responded to the news of Absalom's death by going up into the chamber above the gate of the city and there lamenting for his son. Well, this news has now been reported to Joab, the captain of the host of Israel. He finds out that the king is weeping and mourning. He's not celebrating the victory, but he's weeping. He is grieved. And the Bible says that his grief was to such a degree that the victory that day, verse 2, was turned into mourning unto all the people. And so the king's grief uh, became the grief of all the people. We understand that we live in a world that is full of grief. Absalom died, if you'll remember, the son of David, in rebellion to his father, in rebellion to the king. And those who die in rebellion to the king not only suffer the natural death that all of us suffer, but those who die in rebellion to the king suffer a spiritual death, the second death, an eternal death in a place called hell. Jesus spoke often of hell and the reality of it and the suffering of it. And I want you to know that those who die in rejection, in rebellion against the king, Go to a Christless eternity, a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place of fire where the flame is not quenched. And the Bible says their worm dieth not. It's a place of suffering, a place of hopelessness and despair. And should it not grieve the king when people go there? The Lord grieved over the city of Jerusalem He looked out over the city and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets. He said, I I would have gathered you as a a mother hen gathers her chicks, and I would have protected you. I would have kept you safe. I I would have delivered you uh, from judgment and condemnation and an eternity in hell. I would have done that for you, but ye would not. And so he grieved. He wept over the unbelief of the Jews. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs for the lost and dying of this world. It ought to affect you and I to know that the people are dying without Christ and heading into an eternity in an awful place called hell. God is grieved by the sin of his own people. The Bible teaches us that we can grieve the spirit of God through our sin and our disobedience. He was a grieving king, and that grief turned victory to mourning. Look in verse 3, and the people got them by stealth that day into the city. And the people being ashamed, as people being ashamed, steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Wearsby writes that what should have been a celebration became a point of confusion for all the land. The people had defended the king. They had won the victory, but the king was mourning and grieving. So in verse number five, we read that Joab came into the house 
to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines. In that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants, for this day I perceived that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants, for I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night, and that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Joab was concerned for the kingdom. He was concerned for the people that were confused, that, that were not able to celebrate victory, but were walking in stealth secretly, were walking silently. No victory parade here. Stealing away, hoping not to be discovered, not to be seen, confused about the outcome of the battle. And Joab said, listen, king, if you don't go out to those people and speak to them, you're going to lose every one of them. And that'll be worse than all the things that you've suffered from your youth until now. He called for the king to act. And by the way, the greatest thing we can do for a hopeless world is call for the king to act. That We would beseech him in prayer that he would enable us to spread the news of the gospel, that he would capture the hearts of a lost and dying world. Well, we see that David heeded Joab's advice. And by the way, Joab had no compassion. He certainly did not try to identify with the grief of the king. He even charged the king foolishly saying that the king would have been happy if all those servants had died. That wasn't true. But the king was grieving for his son. Verse 8, the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. Now the people hearing that the king has come to sit in the gate of Mahanaim, they come before him. They come into his presence, a grieving king. Well, we see secondly that this king not only was a grieving king, but he was a gathering king. Once David went to sit in the gate, what happened? The people heard the news and they came to sit with him there in Mahanaim. But we read in verse number nine that there was strife among the people. The Bible says in verse 9, and all the people were at strife throughout all the, all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? Now, remember, Israel was a nation of 12 tribes, 12 families, and we understand the men of Israel, speaking of the 10 northern tribes, were in a dispute. The Bible said they were at strife. And what were they striving about? Well, the civil war had just ended. The rebellion had, put, had been put down. Absalom, the one that they had chosen uh, and anointed as their king, is dead. And they don't know what to do. So there's contention in the land. 
By the way, we live in a world full of contention. We live in a world where leaders get together and they, they, they really don't know how to address the problems of our world. There are a lot of discussions about that, those problems, but there are no solutions. And there is a lot of strife, a, a lot of discord, a lot of division in our world and in our nation in particular today. Well, this is exactly what was taking place in the land of Israel. There was strife. And there was a group of people who in verse number 10 said, Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? In other words, here we are in this dreadful condition. We don't know what to do. There's strife and contention. Let's bring back the king. That's a good idea, by the way. And so into that strife, the king speaks. Look at verse 11. And King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak unto the elders of Judah. Now the king is going to make two proposals in his message to the elders of Judah. First of all, he appeals to them to bring him back. Look in verse 11. Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house? Seeing the speech of all Israel is come to the king even to his house. Ye are my brethren, ye are my bones and my flesh. Wherefore then are ye the last to bring back the king? David has heard that the, the Israelites, the, the ten tribes, are, are in strife and contention, and there are those who are saying we need to bring the king back. He hears that report, but he's heard nothing from Judah. Judah, that is his tribe. That's his family. Those are his people. And he says to them, why haven't I heard from you? I am bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. We are family. So he appeals to the elders of Judah to bring him back as king. Now remember, many of the elders of Judah had turned against David. So David in his message is sending them an olive branch. He's sending them a message that says, I want to be your king. I don't have any judgment to bring against you. And so he appeals to them to bring him back. And then secondly, he appoints Amasa to become the captain of the host. Look in verse 13. And say ye to Amasa, Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. Now, this is a big, big, consequential statement that David makes. Amasa was the captain of Absalom's army. He was leading Absalom's army in the rebellion. And David says, I want Amasa to serve as captain of my host. And I'm going to replace Joab, by the way. So there's judgment against Joab, which he rightly deserves, and there's the appointment of Amasa. The king is offering to them the terms of peace. He's saying, I will return and be your king, but I will not come back with grudges. I will not come back and be petty. I want to be the king of all the land of Israel. Well, that's a refreshing message, isn't it? And so through the king's words, there was solidarity among the people. Those who were at strife were now unified. Notice in verse 14, 
And he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man. So those who were divided, those who were in rebellion, are now unified and submissive, no longer in rebellion to the king, but submissive to the king. And they sent this word unto the king, return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. So the king, who is a gathering king, has sent his message to those who were scattered, to those who were striving. And he said, I will return and be your king. There will be no retribution, no judgment against you. I simply want to serve you as your king and the people were unified, and they responded by saying, come back and be our king. He's a gathering king. Well, then we see thirdly that he's a gracious king. He's a gracious king. Now, we go back here to verse 15, and we read the last statement of verse 15, and Judah came to Gilgal, to go to meet the king. You remember Gilgal is the place where the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan. And there they erected those 12 stones, that monument of the 12 stones, one stone for every tribe. So he comes to Gilgal. Uh, Judah comes there to meet the king and conduct him over the Jordan. Now, there are three particular meetings that take place there. There were a number of people there. But the Bible speaks of three unique individuals who were there to meet the king. We look first of all in verse number 16 at Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Behurim. Now we know Shimei because he's the one who met the king when the rebellion started. Remember the king left and uh, as he was walking along the route and leaving Jerusalem, fleeing into the wilderness, Shimei shows up. What does Shemai do? He's throwing dirt. He's throwing rocks. He's cursing the king. And uh, Abishai says to the king, why don't you let me end this thing? I'll take my sword and we'll silence him. And David refused to allow him to do that. Shemai is blaming David for the death of Saul and basically saying that David was disloyal to Saul and acted in an act of treason to take the throne away. These are false accusations that Shimei has made. Now David is returning, and Shimei, the one who has, who has spewed all this hatred with his mouth, who cast stones and dirt, he has returned to meet the king. If you'll look with me, please, in verse number 19. Uh, well, actually, let's look in verse 18. The Bible said there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king, and he was come over Jordan. So now the man's in a different place. He's humbled himself, right? He's fallen before the king. And he says unto the king, in verse 19, Let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me. Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come uh, the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the king. 
So basically, Shimei shows up and says, I'm the first guy here, and I'm here to say, I was wrong, I sinned, will you forgive me? Shimei recognized that he was guilty of death. He was guilty of the act of treason. He was condemned, and he's therefore pleading that David will be merciful to him. Verse 21, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, shall not Shimei be put to death Uh, for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And David said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? Now remember the sons of Zeruiah, of course, that includes Joab and Abishai and another brother. And uh, these three men had the reputation of being bloody men and uh, angry men. And so David said, I I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hear from you fellows anymore uh, that you should this day be adversaries unto me Verse 22, shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. David said, it's not going to satisfy me at all to see bloodshed, to see, uh, to see Shimei get what's coming to him. Therefore, verse 23, the king said unto Shimei, thou shalt not die. Wow, that's what he wanted to hear, isn't it? That's what he was afraid of. Hey, Shimei, did you hear the news? David's coming back. Oh, no. That's not good news for me. By the way, when Jesus comes back, that won't be good news for a lot of people. I'm talking about those who've rejected him, those who have rebelled against him, those who have sinned against him. But I do have some good news for you if you're part of that crowd. In fact, all of us are part of that crowd. He will forgive you. If you'll simply fall at his feet, confess that you're a sinner, that he is the Savior and the Son of God, Jesus will forgive you. The Bible said that if we confess our sin, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, for if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin, uh, to, to forgive us our sin rather, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we'll simply come to Jesus and call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved, saved from death. Not physical death. We'll all experience that unless the Lord comes in our lifetime. And we hope he does and we look to his coming. But if that doesn't happen, we'll all meet with death. But we'll be delivered from eternal death. You see, he's a gracious king. We find here in his dealings with Shemai that he is the king who relieves he relieves. And maybe you're carrying a load of sin today and guilt and shame, condemnation. There's only one way to have that burden relieved from you, and that's to come to Jesus. Well, we see he meets another man along the way. Look at verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. Well, now, when we last heard about Mephibosheth, it was from Ziba. When David was leaving Jerusalem, Ziba came to meet him. He had, the, he had the mules and he had all the supplies there. And David said, where is your master, Mephibosheth? If you'll remember, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, David's friend. And Mephibosheth was a lame man. He, he couldn't walk. He had fallen as a child and become crippled. So he couldn't walk. And so David said to Mephibosheth, 
I want you to come to my house. I'm going to show kindness to you for Jonathan's sake. He restored unto Mephibosheth all the land of Saul, and he employed Ziba, who was the servant that we read about earlier. He employed Ziba to take care of the farm and the land, and all the produce would go to Mephibosheth. And Ziba had come to David now as he had fled to the rebellion and said, Mephibosheth has turned against you, basically. Mephibosheth is hoping that he will be restored as king. And so David in haste said to Ziba, all that pertaineth to Saul is now yours. Well, now David is coming back. And the last thing he heard about Mephibosheth is that Mephibosheth had betrayed him. But when he meets Mephibosheth again, uh, Mephibosheth, the Bible tells us, looks differently. Look again in verse 24. Uh, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. So it's obvious to David that Mephibosheth has chosen to identify with him during his time of estrangement in the wilderness. And it came to pass, verse 25, when he, that's Mephibosheth, was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth? In other words, why, why didn't you go with me? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant, he's speaking here of Ziba, thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he, again, that's Ziba, he has slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. You cannot believe, king, what Ziba said about me. When, when you left, I, I went into a period of mourning. I, I didn't dress my feet, trim my beard. I didn't wash my clothes. I've been, uh, I've been in despair ever since you left. I am not disloyal to you, king. I am loyal to you. This is the concern of Mephibosheth. Ziba lied to you. He deceived me. I told him to saddle a, a mule and a donkey for me to ride on, but he, he deceived me, and he's lied about me. Well, we notice what the king said in verse 29. And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king has come again in peace unto his own house. You see, the story of Mephibosheth is the story of a man who lost it all and got it all back. What do we learn about our king? Not only is he the king who relieves, but he's the king who restores. The king who restores. And David said, finally, listen, you and Ziba just split it. You split it. It was more than enough for Mephibosheth, by the way. It's yours. Well, then we, we see a third man who meets David along the way. His name is Barzillai. Look at it in verse 31. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogelim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. And Barzillai had come earlier and he had brought, if you'll remember, he had brought that truckload of supplies. 
to David. He was part of that group. And the Bible tells us in verse 32, now Barzillai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old. That means he was 80, fourscore, 80. And he has provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. In other words, he said, come home with me. Come to Jerusalem. Come stay with me. Let me take care of you. I so appreciate, Barzillai, your faithfulness and your loyalty and those things that you sent to me in the wilderness. I, I want to take care of you now. Verse 34, and Barzillai said unto the king, how long have I to live? That I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem. I am this day fourscore years old, and can I discern between good and evil? And can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto my lord the king? Thy servant will go a little way over with the king. And why should the king recompense it me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in mine own city and be buried by the grave of my father and of my mother. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, king, I'm 80. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. It's really not going to be beneficial for me to go with you. I can't hear. I can't, I can't taste all these foods and enjoy all these sights. I, I don't have as much joy in the details of life as I once had. My life is coming to an end. And it would be my preference to just go home. Many of you visited with aged relatives, those who are in nursing homes or hospitals, and what is their wish in every case? I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I want to be at home when this is all over. That's the way I want to go out. And then ultimately, when it's, when it's all over, where are we going? We're going home. Barzillai said, wait a minute, this isn't for me, king. I'm going home. But I will ask you to do something for me, king. It's a great lesson here, a great lesson. Look again in verse 37. But behold thy servant, Chimham. Now, Chimham, strange name. Chimham is Barzillai, another strange name, at least to us, right? Chimham is Barzillai's son. Behold thy servant, Chimham, let him go over with my lord the king and do to him what shall seem good unto thee. What was on the mind of an 80-year-old man? It wasn't himself. By the way, the older we get, the more selfish it seems that we often get. It wasn't himself. It was his son. What was he concerned about? He was concerned about the next generation. He was concerned that as he had walked with the king, so too his son would walk with the king. Are you concerned about that? We live in a generation, the Bible tells us in Joshua, uh, the book of Judges, rather, there arose a generation which knew not the Lord. We're living in that generation in America today, are we not? 
A generation which knew not the Lord, nor the mighty works which he had done for Israel. They tell us young people are leaving churches. I'm grateful that God has blessed our church with a a great host of young people. Don't ever take that for granted. And you haven't. It's because of your faithfulness. It's because of your commitment. You see, Chimham was able to go over with the king. The king granted the, the request. Do you know why Chimham was able to enjoy the blessings of the king? Because of the faithfulness of his father. The faithfulness of his father is what allowed the son to enjoy the blessings of the king. The petition of the father. By the way, mom and dad, one of the greatest things you can do for your kids is pray for them. You can talk to the king on their behalf. Let my son, let my daughter go over with thee. I want them to walk with the king. I want them to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom. And so the Bible tells us in verse 39, and all the people went over Jordan. And when the king was come over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. And he returned unto his own place. Then the king went on to Gilgal. And Chimham went on with him. What greater thing could a parent read? That Chimham went on with him. Oh, that God would touch the hearts of our children, that they would go on with him. And all the people of Judah conducted the king and also half the people of Israel. You see, he is the king who rewards. He's a gracious king, isn't he? He's the king who relieves us from the burden of sin. He's the king who restores all that we've lost And he is the king who rewards us with eternal life and blessing forevermore. So may we say in our hearts as the men of Judah, bring back the king. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.